how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters. Did Home Alone ruin John Hughes' career? The greatest movie never made? And how Jackie Chan creates perfection through failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Wicca Lin's writing comes from a place of pain, but also a place of fear. He was already a professional screenwriter when his mother passed away, but since this monumental moment in his life, his work became more authentic. In this interview, we talk about how that happened. We also discuss his new book, Crazy Screenwriting Secrets, How to Capture a Global Audience, How to Write Duality in Your Stories, What It Means to See Characters Through the Lens of Fear, and Why Writing is a Way of Life. You can also find the print version of this interview on Creative Screenwriting's website. I immigrated to the States when I was eight years old. And when I was really quite shy and didn't know, didn't know English at all. And a junior high uh, teacher, who was my English teacher, and he also taught drama, I think noticed I was a very shy kid and invited me to, be, to participate in a Wizard of Oz production to be a mayor of the Munchkin City, right, <laughs> Mr. Laws. So then from there on, um, I think I started telling stories through characters, you know what I mean? Like, you know, kind of expressing myself through, through you know, acting. And then from there on, I think I really uh, fell in love with theater. So from there on, you know, I started to playwright, directed plays, and then evolved into basically, I love movies so much, evolved into um, screenwriting. So. But from screenwriting, I think also, you know, I was initially, you know, in a way, always trying to fit in if, into adapting to become American in, in some ways, because from thinking about it, from acting and playing roles, writing and writing other characters, you know, whatnot. That's, and I, I initially didn't really write about myself. I stayed away. You know, when, when you start writing, you always write kind of, you know, basis and elements of, of your life or of your emotions into, into writing. But um, I think after my mom passed away uh, 14, 15 years ago, I started writing um, like really from 
from my own emotional kind of uh, feelings. And I think that's when they, everything really lit up. I thought about a lot more information than you expected. Oh, but no, that's good. It's kind of, my trajectory of writing came from that. And then even though I, already, I was already a professional screenwriter, but after my mom passed, um, I think all my work became very authentic and it made it very, um, I don't know, it made it very, it's really a part of me, if, if you will, you know, mm. so, yeah. Were you studying dialogue in the same way you'd study language? Like, did it help you learn to Americanize things or whatever you were trying to pursue with English? That is such a great observation, actually. No one's really asked me that before. Um, yes, absolutely. Because I think as an immigrant, you're coming in, you're just observing, listening, right? Because you don't know, you're, you're kind of starting to understand and kind of to learn what people are talking about. And maybe you don't understand the words yet, but you see what they're trying to express to each other, right? Mm. You see the, the actions. So you learn, you're actually two things. You're learning, you're, you're, not, you're not hearing what they're saying, but you, you study the body language. So you kind of learn action, right? You're going to learn action, what people are trying to express to each other without words, I guess. For me, I don't understand what the words are saying. But then slowly, as you start to learn the language, you're just listening, observing. So then initially, so you're kind of learning about dialogue, not just dialogue, but dialogue and action. I guess, action and then dialogue, how people talk to each other. But from a very observant kind of point of view, yeah. Were there some logistics, you mentioned your mother passing, were there some logistics to that? Like, were you journaling and it led to screen? Like, what made it per more personal, I guess? I think having the, uh, uh, you know, the, the avenue to express the grief, but not in a grief where, it's so dark and so sad, you know, grief in terms of like you have a grief, but how do you make it into hopeful, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So I think after that, it, it wasn't, you know, I, you know, I, I want to say this, like, so when my mom was sick, she was in Taiwan and I was in the States. So it's going back and forth and she didn't want me to, I want to drop everything. I'm, I'm the youngest of four. So, right. So, so I lost siblings in Taiwan to help my mom, but I just want like, I have a flexible schedule, right? I'm a writer, you know, I could just drop, I don't have to be here, but I think that's when I started, you know, I was a, I, I was a nickel fellowship finalist. Mm -hmm. So all these years I'm working so hard, I finally kind of catching my break, right? And then I got manager and we're about to just like, you know, move forward. And I think my mom realized that. And my mom, it bothered her so much that she didn't want me to, you know, drop everything and move over. I finally did this. And I go, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it gave us so much anxiety, right? Because she cared about my dream and my, 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 uh, my pursuit so much. So then, um, uh, so then anyways, so, so answering your question was, I, I left a notebook for her. I left a notebook. It's a small, tiny notebook. I said, whenever you think of me when I'm away, just write whatever thoughts you have, you know, just write whatever thoughts you have, you know, and she didn't write much, but in a few pages she did write in Chinese. It just gave this kind of um, emotional kind of, I guess, fuel for me or inspiration. And, 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 you know, after she passed, I was reading these kind of the notes about almost a little life lesson she had given me. It's almost like about characters, right? About her fears. And I mean, she always come for me saying like, oh, I'm ready to go. Don't worry about me. You know, I'll be watching you from above, you know, that kind of stuff. But also at the same time, she's like, 
she always regretted like, oh, you know, she didn't feel like, uh, <clears throat> she had a fear, but like I wasn't going to be taken care of because I wasn't married. I was, you know, I was a young, I was, you know, was, you know, it was a mother's job. You want to see your child kind of settled, right? And then, you know, it's kind of screenwriting. So <laughs> everything was still in this very kind of unstable kind of stuff. So I think when she, um, when, uh, <clears throat> I think I sensed the fear in her words, right? So, sorry, long story short. So, um, so, and then so I taken from that. And I think by that time when I kind of realized this, like, you know, obviously she passed away a couple of years. I've already kind of, I, I, you know, I, I sold my first pitch and, and everything, but, but, you know, the writing I was doing wasn't really, I don't think I was really as authentic as it could have been, if you, if you will, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't writing through emotions or writing through crafts, you know? And I think after seeing that fear, I started approaching everything I do through that lens, the lens of fear, if you will, right? So, so I always ask myself, every project I take on, it doesn't matter what genre, whether it's comedy, action, thriller, you know, anything, but like nothing that's, <laughs> the first question I ask myself, I mean, I have an idea, right? An idea of the setting or, or an assignment, right? Or, or like, a, you know, I'm going out for you know, pitch for, to pitch for assignment. I look at that. And the first question I ask isn't like, oh, how do I unfold the story? How do I, what's my take? You know, the very first thing I go, what is the fear of this project? What is the fear of this protagonist? What is the fear of this character? That's going to be the emotional fuel for, for this movie. So, so, so I think that has informed how I write, you know, after that loss and dealing with the grief. That's how I, absolutely how I write, you know. So everything I do is from fear, you know. <laughs> In some ways, grief too. You know, my mom's passed 14, 15 years ago. Oh my gosh, every character I do, <laughs> there's gonna be some character who's dealing with some sort of loss mm. or grief. I mean, again, comedy, action, there'll be some sort of that. Because for me, it's not because like I'm obsessed with it, because, you know, my mom passed away 14, 15 years ago. It feels like yesterday. It feels like yesterday. So that's kind of my emotional um, stuff, right? So that's my engine. So that's what I use to fuel my writing. So for that process for you, are you mostly thinking that through in your mind? Are you writing out treatments for characters? How are you kind of shifting your mental focus from like different characters in one of your stories or something like that to see how each one has their own fears? Yeah. Well, I think the fear is really from the protagonist. I, I just like the main character, right? And how that fear. And then, you know, how they say like, oh, great movies about great characters. You know, but great movies are about great character relationships, really. It's about the dynamics. Like, no, you don't remember a movie by the characters by themselves, but you remember them by their dynamics with other characters, right? So I like to see how that fear of that character, how that impacts other characters. You know what I mean? So so in that respect. Yeah. So I actually do focus on not, not like a fear for every single character, but more for the fear of the main character and how that impacts or how that, how that character overcome that fear through the journey, right, of the, of the story. But oftentimes the journey is associated with, you know, their relationship with another character, if you will. Right. right. Are these things that you kind of teach others to, like if you're reading a screenplay, is that typically that they haven't done enough character research? Like what are some common problems in screenplays you might see? Yeah, I think maybe, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've done some of these interviews and you know, you're probably familiar with this too. And, and the most common thing, I think everyone's always about like, here's the, which is so important, right? The narrative plot. Yeah. 
But narrative plot, I feel is, uh, you know, when they say, write what you know, right? You know, it's about writing what emotions you know. It's not about writing what you know, it's about writing emotions, you know. And I think a lot of times everyone tends to focus on the craft and, and set pieces and what's the, what you're sewing, which you need that. You need that kind of, a, um, you need that basis, I'm sorry. You need that basis in order to, you know, it's your frame of your story. So you need that, absolutely. But often I think what's lacking is the um, emotional element of it. People aren't, you know, so I think um, when people write it, they're, they're neglecting like their authentic emotions, if you will. You know, I don't think it's the approach with fear. I'm not saying everyone's doing fear stuff. That's how I do it. But I think they kind of forget to tell the emotional story, right? The emotion of it and being, it's hard, you know, I think. Before I lost my mom, I wasn't writing from an emotional point of view. I was writing from a very craft right. point of view. You know, I think that's what how a lot of people start. I think people forget, you know, movies, you know, storytelling is an emotional thing. That's how you connect with your audience. Not about like, here's a great spectacular, fun story or great story or great idea. Here's a story of it. Um, I think you, people forget to remember that's an emotional experience when we watch a story unfold on the screen so does that fear like how does it work in some scenes and with dialogue does it always come to the surface or is it sometimes that this character will never admit the true fear and it's almost like hidden like how do you think about some of that stuff oh yeah you know you know the whole thing about initially we don't realize the character never realizes their fear right but then the i can't infuse into the arc all the time right the arc like how they change at the end so so again, it's pretty much all the same things, right? Screenwriting, all the screenwriting books and all the screenwriting approaches. Uh, uh, but I just kind of, like what lens works for me if we just do the fear, yeah. So then at the end, how they overcome that fear, you know what I mean? How they overcome that from the beginning. So they don't really recognize, they don't know it's like, oh, I'm so afraid of something, you know? But the audience will see it. The audience, you know, the, the readers will, will, will hopefully recognize that, you know? Yeah. So, so you have a book called Crazy Screenwriting Secrets. Tell yes. me kind of how, how that came to be. So I think it's it's written as like the first half has some of your maybe standard ideas, but then it moves more towards global audiences, which of course we're probably mainly thinking about American and Chinese audiences. So yes. what are some yes. of the aspects there that you teach in the book? I think in the book, you know, I use Chinese audiences because I'm Chinese, right? And obviously China being now the biggest box office in the world, I'm not saying what to, you know, kind of appease that but just knowing like well just an example so the ideas that i talk about china just because i know that that industry very well but the idea is just any kind of international it could be korea it could be spain it could be you know that kind of stuff i guess what i'm trying to you know first have the book is probably stuff you've seen already right you've million screenwriting books out there but i just approach it from a cooking culinary point of view and i, I can talk about cooking like act one is appetizer Act two is the main meal and then act three is the dessert. Just another take on it because that's because I love food. I love cooking. I do see storytelling through a culinary lens. So just like a, just like a different way of expressing those kind of stuff that's, you know, been, you know, people talked about, but you know how screenwriting, but why there's so many? Because it's about how can people connect to the way you express those there's lessons, I guess, how to write screenplay. So sometimes you read a whole thick book. It's like, oh my God, I don't understand this. So I just want to make it understandable in, in a way where that, that makes sense to me. So hopefully you could connect with uh, other writers. So that's pretty straightforward for the first half, like you said. Second half, you know, I just want to, I, at the time, you know, the streamers, you know, obviously Netflix, and now it's going to 
you know, not now, but it's already Disney Plus, HBO Max, all these international streamers. We're really, I mean, if, if we've always been, Hollywood's always been a global storytelling thing. You know, you're making movies for the world, you're not just making movies for America, you know? So the second half is really seeing, being aware that you're telling stories for the world and being aware that there are very many opportunities in characters that are not necessarily Americana, right? You're still telling a universal story, but it doesn't have to be per se English. It can be Korean, right? Like Parasite, right? You know, Squid Game, more of a TV series, but it was the original feature, you know, it, Spanish, you know, with the, the money high. I mean, so many different languages that can, just because foreign languages, I mean, they cannot connect with an audience, right? So I think the second half of the book is just kind of broadening the perspective. We're, we're telling, you know, I talk about, you know, cultural and business industry aspect of, you know, international storytelling, but but we are really telling stories. And like when Netflix is buying something, they're not just buying something for the American market, right? We're thinking of bank for something. They're saying like, how can this play, was it 200 some countries? Right. Right. That's that's how they're making the decision. So being aware of the global context, I think is critical, you know, and and it's actually, you know, for writers out there who may be bicultural or have family members or friends who are bicultural, who are different or who are different, you know, it just it opens a lot more doors, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think right. it's very exciting to 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 not just focus from a very, quote unquote, Americana point of view, but approaching with a very universal point of view you know so yeah that's kind of my book that's why i did the whole second half about that you know yeah what do you think are some misconceptions that some american screenwriters have about the chinese market or chinese audience i think there's so many just like you know oh you know we got to appease the chinese audience so we'll put a chinese character in there or you know decorate a scene with lanterns or you know i think those are kind of misconceptions and i think misconceptions oh my my gosh there's so much money um, wow, why don't we, instead of, uh, you know, Chicago, when we're sitting in Beijing and we'll just translate it. I mean, it doesn't really work that way, right? Like, in terms of, um, I think those are misconceptions. And, or two, it's always like, oh, here's my Americana perspective about a character's experience now in a fish out of water in China. So here is an American, you know, in China or American in Korea, okay, or fill in the blank, which worked before, you know, right. because we're very American, you know, we're making movies, obviously, you know, for Americans to watch. That's what makes sense to connect the perspective. But as we say, we're pivoting into this very universal, global kind of uh, perspective. So you realize, if you think about it, like an audience in Greece, you know, Greek, a Greek person, are they going to identify if it's so Americana heavy about an American in Greece? Like it's an American, okay, it's a movie about American fish out of water in Greece. Are the Greek people are going to be able to identify with the American fish that I want all these funny things that happen or all this dramatic, you know, because they're already from Greek. So you're kind of like, well, that's, that isn't, I don't connect with that character. You know, I, I think that's a misconception. It's like, wow, it totally makes sense because about my fish out of water experience here. Right. But, but if they, if they kind of, but it could work, you maybe they're Greek American or it could work if it's focusing on the universal character, emotional stuff instead of like, oh, it's, look, how funny is it? I'm in a different, areas like i think that's an initial misstep i think when people start thinking about oh i'm gonna do international productions i'm an american character that goes somewhere but which could be don't i'm not saying that can that cannot be you know but um like you look at lost in translation right 
lost in translation. That's a holy in Japan, which is totally work. Everyone can uh, 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 relate to it. But I think I think the um, um, lost in translation was great was because both characters are American, so it's not about like a fish out of water. You know what I mean? Like experiencing right. when the character was from there. So in this way, you're just seeing two human beings just in in a foreign environment, you know, interacting. So that that was great. Yeah. So the misstep is that I think. Yeah. Do you think there's room for all stories? Because we're entering this really unique realm where like, it seems like the more people you're trying to please, the more shallow you have to be with the story, but also like Netflix is open to like super fine, weird niche audiences. So how do you kind of balance those two things with storytelling today? Yeah. Well, you know, it's so interesting, right? Look at Netflix, you know, again, bring up Squid Game. So, you know, before, you know, when I first started, I, I, that's how I approached it. Let's be very general because the more general is like it's too specific and, more people will like it, more people will buy in, more audience, right? That's what writing should be. But now I think we're really pivoting because there's so many platforms, there's so many stories. Actually, the way you stand out is by being as specific as you can. Mm. You know what I mean? Be a, you could be a popcorn movie, right? If you look at, but then you could be a popcorn movie, but very specific point of view, right? You know what I mean? Like very specific. So I'm talking about, I don't want to, you know, kind of beat the, <laughs> the beat the drum to death, but I'm gonna say inclusive characters, but it's just basically like, well, what have we not seen before? We, the stories, we've seen all these stories already, right? We're very familiar with all these stories, but what we haven't seen is from perspectives of characters that we maybe haven't seen as much on the big screen, you know? And inclusive is everything. Inclusive could be gender, inclusive could be, you know, sex, gender, gender, sexuality, it could be cultural, it could be ethnicity, it could be, you know, hybrid of whether it be like, you know, uh, Latin American, you know, all, all those different things, all so many different uh, ways of doing it, but universal character. So I think being more specific with perspective, you know, I think it's the way you kind of stand out more in this, in this crazy evolutionary changing, you know, media telling, just like back in the days, right? From radio to television, like, oh my God, you know, this is kind of a dramatic thing we're, we're experiencing right now. And then back, now we look back like, oh, it makes sense. You know, we get it. But here's yeah. like, we, we're in it. So we don't know what it is. So everyone's kind of figuring it out. But I'm feeling it's the, the more specific you get with so many, so many shows being done right now. Um, I think that's the way you stand out. It's by being as specific, hyper-specific as possible. But yeah, universal, emotional, you know, experience. Yeah. So you mentioned parasite where that was the director has has mainly done movies about class warfare you yeah. like to focus on fear do you see fear as a threat in your work do you see like was parasite so great because he had spent so much time in that world like do you see that you're spending more and more time and evolving within kind of an arena of your own writing yeah you know you talk about world class fear yeah but isn't that the fear like I, I, I feel like that movie's all about the fear and yeah. audience to watch overcome their fear, the insecurity of, you know, the father was so touching and the son was so touching because like, will I be stuck in this poor working class place forever? Isn't that it? You know what I mean? He's not the fear of it. The father's a fear I cannot provide for my family. Right. You know, you know? the son, I fear that my father will always live in poverty. How can I help? create opportunities for the family. Is that what he was doing, right? He got himself a tutor job. Like I guess entire family member, you know, into it. Yeah. So so in terms of that, yeah. But for me, it's like, you know, 
yeah, I'm not going to do another. <laughs> I, I feel like subject and themes, because that opens up more, right? If you, because you fear anything, everything, you know, going through it. Yeah, but he does. But I think, obviously, I think every, like for me, it's like, so you tell you about fear, but then in terms of theme, I'm all about grief, you know, loss and how it becomes hopeful. That's kind of my thing all the time. Yeah. And also duality too, I guess. I, I see myself and actually everything, the duality of things is an immigrant, right? You're kind of trying to um, be in a space where you are, you know, I'm ethnically Taiwanese, but then Chinese language, but then um, I'm an American and, you know, the whole duality. But I'm, I'm not saying I'm telling stories about, oh, am I Asian or Asian American, that kind of stuff, but it's more about, but I think everyone experienced some sort of duality. Fight Club is about duality, right? Fight Club is duality, you know, so many things about duality. On the surface, you're one thing, and then you're, 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 you're fearful <laughs> of, you know, your true self coming out or something like that. So I, I love the duality or spies, you know, when you're a spy, you know, you're, you're under a duality, you're, you're, you're a spy, but yet you're real life and then you're faking something. So I love those kind of characters. Yeah. It's really interesting how you're, you're almost thinking about genres in a different way. You're, you're thinking about like subgenres that expand drama, comedy, some of those things where, most people sit down like, okay, I'm going to write a horror movie and they're only thinking about other horror movies. So it's really interesting that you've pinpointed this thing that crosses typical genre filmmaking to more like, I guess it's all the emotional states, things like that. In terms of genre. Yeah, I, I totally. So for example, you know, the example I love to give is, um, have you seen Get Out by any chance? Get yeah, Out? Yeah. yeah. And then have you heard of, you know, Crazy Rich Asians, right? Mm -hmm. And funny enough is there's two movies Crazy Rich Agents and Get Out, they both scored about $250 million worldwide with no name cast, really with no stars, right? I mean, right. you know, no one, I mean, you have a couple recognized, you know, you know in, in terms of like movie stars, it's not like a Matthew McConaughey or Denzel Washington. I mean, it's like, or I don't know, Jet, I don't know, whatever. There's no recognizable. I'm Michelle Yao, but she's known for like, you know, martial arts. Stunt work, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, stunt work or, you know, Cartoon Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Talk about two completely. But I always talk about how they're both pretty much the same movie. Not the same movie, but it's the fear, right? The same fear was, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid. Will my significant other's parents accept me? <laughs> right. Right. Do you think about, is that the whole movie, the premise right, is about? Right, right. Right. Will my super rich, you know, Singaporean, you know, rich family, will they accept me as their, you know, as the son's future, you know, significant other or wife and get out? All his fearful is like, or is my white girlfriend's white parents going to accept me as a black guy? You know what I mean? That's the fear of that. And that's kind of like what drives the whole movie, you know, going through the emotional engine of it. And the setup is very similar if you think about it, right? But one's kind of a, I don't say rom-com, because it's already, you know, it's more of a comedy, romance comedy. And one's like, is it a horror? Yeah, it's a horror, yeah. but you know, not natural. But yet, both have the same universal kind of fear of, parental acceptance which you know of the significant other that we all can relate to in some ways yeah does all this groundwork help you like do you start with a you've kind of got we already talked about a lot of your initial work i'm assuming you also probably an outline phase but once you've done all this do you pretty much like what stalls you i guess what's the difficulty when you get somewhere and feel stuck and what do you do about that oh man you know i say you know the worst part of the script to write and no matter and I think you talk to any writer, the, the hardest part is the act two, you know, yeah. and especially like page 30 to 60, 60 
it's I'm not saying easy to write act one, you know, with act one, just like, oh, I got a great character idea, I got a great world, oh my gosh, and then most people kind of lose steam after act one. It's like, okay, now what? How, oh my God, I don't, most people quit after 25 pages. A lot of people quit because, oh my God, how do I sustain 60 minutes of, of just need a thread and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I absolutely get stuck every time from 30, 60. That's like, you know, even though I have, the, I have that my outline, but it's like, it's like, oh man, how do I keep going? But I, I do this, I, like if I'm stuck, like, you know, I, you know, in my book, I talk about, or my process, basically I do a step outline, it's like a one pager, each step represents three minutes of the narrative thread. So, so what I do is like, if I'm like stuck on, I don't know, you know, step 10 to step 20, which is like 30 minutes, page, page 30 to page 16, what I'll do is, well, I do my prep work already, but I refer back to this prep work where I break, say so writing a, a for a serial killer movie, for example, or action killer, I'll break down a bunch of movies in, in that outline form, you know what I mean, to see what the plot is. And then so often it's not about, it's not about being stuck on, oh, I don't know how to write the scene. It's more about stuck on how does the plot, how do I, I'm missing something, you know, something's, there's no obstacles here or mm. they're getting through too easy or it's just not interesting enough for this moment I've seen. So, like how do I, so then I go back and then, so does the prep work I've done, I look at, okay, step 10 to 20 I, I read through all the step I don't read the whole thing the step 10 to 20 of all the different movies I've broken down hmm. and see like not to borrow or anything but these are just a whole different narrative but like oh my god they did that oh wait you know what they had this person who's also chasing them that's why my um suspense is so bad I don't have any time oh my god it doesn't feel danger at all because we're missing someone every two six minutes there's some character who's like right around the corner you know something like that so yeah i'll look at that and I, I realize oh my god that's what's missing and then so i that's how when i get stuck i look at that and more on the practical value of course you know the whole thing's like you know i go to art galleries and you know but it's more of like i want to breathe there to like okay writing this this actual scene stuff you know i actually i used to i, I lived in chicago for a little bit before and then I had membership to the uh, Chicago Art Institute. It's so cool. And then the the membership, you have a little uh, uh, coffee. You could have free coffee at this room where only members can go to. But there's just people who are gathered, kind of sit down, have coffee, read something. But it was my best writing place because can you imagine, right? You're writing. You said, oh, so I want to take a walk around. You walk out, look at Van Gogh. <laughs> you know, you look at all these great pieces of art. And then, wow, you know, you make me think like, you know what, screenwriting is not so bad. These are the great pieces of Picasso and and that's out there. It, it's like you know, living with great artists and stuff, and, and seeing the visuals. It kind of so looking at art, creative stuff that's not um, immediately what you're doing. You know, I think it's quite inspiring. And so, just two things, right? So one is the the step outline stuff, more practical, and the other is more like visceral inspiration. Yeah. We'll just do uh, one or two more. So I like to ask people, like, were there any false beliefs you had early in your career like what were you sure about about screenwriting that now you're like oh that was totally not true and totally wrong to think that i think you know when you started out you always just yeah totally you're writing for the market all the time like that just sold oh my god here's a different version of that that we can sell that but you know as you know by the time you catch up it's like oh my god that phase already gone you know like twilight that was not the big hot thing that sexy vampires and werewolves everyone's like or harry potter everyone's like I mean, if you look at the trades right after that, like, oh my, like so many books were like all in that genre, but look how many other Twilights were done. You know, how, look how many other Harry Potters were done really, right? And they bought maybe IPs or optioned IPs or bought scripts, but I think that's a big mistake. And every, you know, everyone tried to do it like, oh my gosh, here's the thing. Let me, let me, 
do a version of that. But then that's not being very authentic, right? Like, so, so I feel like you write the stories that you need to write. And hopefully the timing wants time. So you mean, right, it may not, it may not sell right away tomorrow, right? It may not sell two years later, but maybe it could sell or become a very riveting sample that's current, that's, that's relatable in, in the time, right? When we write something, let's say, you wrote about disconnection of society, let's say, you know, and now, you know, within this two-year pandemic, maybe you wrote about disconnection of society maybe four years, five years ago, and didn't really resonate, connect, but maybe now it could connect with people as a sample or as a spec cell. So I think the lesson, I think a lot of people, writers, when they first start out, learn is, is you know, don't chase for the market, you got to write for what you, you know, what you, I know it's so cliche, but, you know, I'm the guy who says cliches are cliches because they work, you know, <laughs> but how do you tell that cliche, you know, but I think it's that um, connect, uh, you know, write what you need to write because, you know, I always feel like writing should be, that's another thing I learned is like, you know, you, you screenwriting, you know, it's so hard, right? It's so hard. Um, I, you know, you talk to Oscar winners or Oscar nominees, it's, it's so hard. Is there, after their Oscar nominees, it's still so hard. And there's a preconception, like once you get that or you, you sold that and, you know, it's the way through. So I feel like you have to, so nothing I've learned, like the misconception, people think like, oh, once you, once you sell your first project or once you get paid for your first writing, then it's all just gravy down the line. No, that's, I feel like it's going to work to get started. Right? And I don't feel like going, you know, readers might be like, what are you talking about? Oh my gosh, I want to get my manager. That's what I thought. Oh my God, if I get my manager, my agent, then my career is set, you know? And then if I get it sold, then it's set. And then if it gets made, it's, it's it, it'll be for, it's an endless kind of stuff. So uh, going back, uh, obviously we know that's not the case, right? But going back is like, I think writing has to be a way of life. I know as, as much as you can't, like, because you'll just drive yourself into insanity. Sorry, keep going about the crazy stuff. You'll drive yourself nuts if you always anticipate, like, okay, this is it. This is the one that's going to sell the big bucks. This is the one that's going to get me that, you know, you go crazy because if it doesn't, then what happens, right? So I think you have to approach it, like, as a craftsman, you know, you know, some people just, like, they love making their hobbies, making, they're very passionate, though. They probably spend more time doing this than their actual job. Is you know they build furniture or they build miniature models or I think you just have to write as a way of life. Of course, be cognizant, be aware of the business side of things. How you can write financially makes sense. You just spend all this time, but I just feel like as a storyteller, you have to kind of write as a way to tell stories. I think, yeah. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.